Welcome to Troubleshooting Innovation, a commercial baking podcast sponsored by the National Honey Board, your resource for Mother Nature's true sweetener. I'm your host, Joni Spencer, Editor-in-Chief for Commercial Baking. In this season, I'm talking with Rebecca Abel, owner of Divine Cookies in Taylor, Michigan. From starting a bakery to moving into the first big facility to strategic growth and operations and product development, Rebecca and I are looking at cookie production through the lens of an entrepreneur. This week, we are looking at what it's like to be the new kid on the industrial park block. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Hi, Joni. Thanks for having me. So this one's going to be kind of fun because I met you right before a big move. And so I've gotten to kind of share in this excitement with you. But in the first episode, we talked about your decision to become a cookie manufacturer rather than a craft baker, despite the fact that this is a very high-end product that you're making. I want to dive into that a little bit more. So looking back, How do you feel about that decision to become a manufacturer instead of a craft baker? I think it was the right decision for me and what I was looking to create. I'm looking to have a craft cookie product, but I'm I'm looking to build something really much bigger than me and, and to create a national brand here. And so it's something that I could see pretty clearly two or three years into it that manufacturing was going to be the route for me to attain this large goal. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about the role that co-manufacturing plays in the business and that right now you're really focusing on building that brand and having a larger presence nationally. What do you think about where you are with your co-manufacturing business? Are you going to stay that course? Are they going to be two parallel things? And how is that going to impact your growth and where you're going in manufacturing? Sure. Well, These contract manufacturing jobs that I took on initially to really start growing in the manufacturing space are something that I'll maintain. And and those are in themselves growing and those companies are scaling as well. Um, So I plan on continuing with those, but that's not an area that I'm looking to grow my business in. So I'm not looking to bring in more clients in that space. Instead, all my growth is focused on my own brand at this point. But the two can play, you know, they, they can be parallel and Divine will continue to grow and be a larger percentage of our business over the next few years. Okay. You know, I talked to a baker once. Um, she runs a, a very large company and she mentioned something about she really loves and respects some of the aspects of the company that got them to where they are, but she has to know when to recognize those aren't the things that are going to take the company into the future. And I kind of feel like there's a little bit of parallel there. Totally. Yeah. I I think that that's very important for us and that these contracts that we have helped us get to where we are. And so we want to continue working with them. Right. We wouldn't be where we are without the contract manufacturing jobs that we took on initially. Right. So the next thing I want to talk about is you took a big step recently. I mentioned it when we opened this episode that that's when I first met you. You were getting ready to move into a much larger facility. And last week, we closed the episode with you mentioning that, let me see, let me remember, five locations in five years. Is that right? Yes, five locations in five years, which has been very challenging to continuously outgrow our space. 
but without the right space, you can't grow. So it's been something that has been necessary to continue our, our journey. And that really says a lot about your growth trajectory and where you're going. How do you know when it's time to expand? And how did you know it was time to make this move? Because this one was a pretty big one. Well, we were we were really just maxed out in storage and room for new equipment. And so it was pretty clear after um, six months in our, our last facility that if we were to get any new contracts that we were going to outgrow it. So as soon as we got another potential large contract, we started looking because I wasn't going to, um, I wasn't going to make another big move unless I had something lined up that was going to uh, pay the bill for it down the line. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, and it was a space, this most recent space we moved into is really much larger than we need right now, but it's going to be big enough for when this new client comes on board sometime next year. And um, ultimately, you know, we'll probably outgrow this space in two years. Because the challenging thing is, you know, you can only go so big and afford to have so much space and room for growth without signing up for more than you can afford at the time. Right. It's a really very specific sweet spot, wouldn't you say? It, it, it absolutely is. And, and it's a tough balance because the idea of having to move again is really daunting. These moves are really painful and expensive. Yeah. And, um, just even from permits and build outs, this last go round was was pretty excruciating and stressful. So it's not something I enjoy doing. You know, these moves are not, you know, something that I initially saw as part of my my journey, but they've been necessary. So I, I just try not to uh, think too much about them. And I just, I'm embracing that this is going to be part of the process. So in each move, what lessons did you learn? Because you started with a decision to step into manufacturing and now you're stepping into a new facility that you're hoping will sustain your growth for two years. A lot happened in between those those two steps. At each point in that journey, what are some of the biggest lessons that you learned? Well, I really learned that um, you have to give yourself a cushion for a lot of unfortunate things to happen in the process. So like with any construction project, it doesn't go smoothly. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden you you spend all this money to dig out a new drain system and you realize, oh my gosh, you know, you you get into the, the guts of something and the builder couldn't see that from the outset until they've dug down into the floor in a particular area and realize, okay, this isn't going to work how we thought it was going to work. So I've had to give myself this um, big cushion for problems that would come up along the way that wouldn't um, stress me out so much to derail our moving forward. And that that I think is the biggest thing about moving and build outs and whatnot is is just really knowing that it is not going to be smooth and you might have to switch contractors midway or you know fail inspections and yeah, it's been challenging. This last move was really even exceeded any cushion that I built in for challenge. Wow. I mean, expect the unexpected is real. Yes. I mean, that's probably, if COVID taught us anything, expect the unexpected. But that is a mantra, I think, for build-outs or moving into new facilities or even expansion in your operation. You're right. It never goes on the timeline that you expect. 
So the next thing that I wanted to talk about is the equipment in the facilities that you've been in. We talked about this a little bit in the beginning on the in the first episode, but what did equipment choices look like when you first started making cookies? And what were the priorities then? And what are the priorities now when you move into this full-scale manufacturing facility? Well, in my first facility, we had enough space for one line. And we didn't spend a whole lot of time planning out flow and making sure that you know, we wouldn't have unnecessary travel in the whole flow of the process. Whereas now, especially in this most recent one, you know, we worked extensively to make sure that the space A was appropriate to make sure we had the efficient use of space mm-hmm. and that things could flow correctly in the right direction and that there was room for the lines that we have right now and room for the next couple pieces of equipment we were going to buy. So, you know, I used a lot of advice from consultants to make sure that I was getting into the right space first and foremost. And then a lot of planning went into where we were putting different electrical and different plumbing and the types of drains. And so there was a lot of planning involved. How much work did you have to do on this facility to have it ready to install your operation? We had to do, you know, it took us about three months to do some plumbing infrastructure and to put on some additional gas lines for ovens and makeup air. And the space was nice because it was a big rectangle and that's kind of an ideal situation where there's not turns and it was just a the right structure. So that saved us a lot in that we didn't have to do much build out in terms of the structure of the space, but we did need to put in a lot of plumbing and electrical infrastructure. What was the space previously used for? It was used for food manufacturing, actually. Oh, okay. It was actually salsa. So it was a totally different type of food. It wasn't something that was um, going through ovens. Right. And so it was nice because there were already the food safe walls and smooth cleanable surfaces. And so that was really something that helped us to not have to, you know, spend a small fortune to put up, you know, FRP walls in, in a very large space. So mm-hmm. it made it appealing. Right. So we're hoping that you're going to be in this space for a couple of years and there is room to grow and install at least another line. And I know one of the early conversations that I had with you when we were getting to know each other is I was sort of asking, because it's what I do, like, do you know this equipment? You know, are you, do you use this? Or are you talking to this company? And you had said something about, oh, I, I like that company. I hope one day I'm going to be like, it's in my business plan to be big enough to invest in that type of equipment. So when you look at the business plan, what are your thoughts on your capital investment priorities and strategies as you start on this journey in this facility? Yeah, we we definitely have some larger scale equipment that we're eyeballing for the future. And this particular room that we're in will house the next step of automation that we want, but there's some things that we can envision, you know, two to three years down from where we're at right now. And that's what's going to cause us to outgrow the space again is when we get into the big tunnel ovens and things that are really going to make us efficient. That's where our next move is going to come in because, you know, we don't have that type of space here to to be getting into 
the tunnel oven that would really make us productive and efficient down the line. And, you know, there's a few other types of equipment, whether it's cooling tunnels or, or different different things that we've seen that would really help our process. But that's going to be move number six. Number six, right. <laughs> so speaking of like operational efficiencies, again, you have that engineer's mindset and it probably having a finance background, like you think about things sort of mathematically. So it really fits in your DNA that you think like an engineer. So you employ some important GMPs. I know we've talked in the past about Kaizen principles. So how have the GMPs that you use helped get you where you are as a relatively new manufacturer? How are you bringing those principles into your operation and having good manufacturing practices? Yeah. Well, we just focus on creating systems for everything and then tweaking these systems to make them even better. So, you know, with new employees that come in, there's checklists for everything. And and we just try to manage to these checklists, which are all GMP based, because there's a lot of moving pieces here and everyone has to be following their checklist for the total process to come together at the end and, and be the product that we want and be processed in the, the GMP way that we need it to be. It's a series of individual moving pieces that are really systematic that then all have to come together. And um, it, it's not been easy. I mean, that's where, you know, you have to take this engineering approach on it and make sure that it's it's all systematized. But it's, it's really conducting an orchestra at times. And I have some great people on my team helping with that. But it, it, it is not, it's not an easy feat. Yeah. This season of Troubleshooting Innovation is sponsored by the National Honey Board. Honey truly is mother nature's sweetener from the beehive to your bakery food. It comes from every corner of the world and provides a sense of time and place. It's flavorful, functional, and composed of a complex mix of carbohydrates, acids, minerals, antioxidants, vitamins, and prebiotics. And while honeybees are making honey, they're also pollinating more than 35% of the foods we eat. Learn more at www.honey.com. Just thinking about how our conversations have unfolded over these few weeks, I can really see this theme in how you started the business and and the thoughtful approach and how you were very sort of systematic about it in the beginning in figuring out how to make cookies at all and then figuring out how you wanted to get them out there to the public and the decision-making process. It is I mean, just systematic is the best word I can think of. And that makes sense. You seem like a person who lives and dies by her spreadsheets. That's funny that you say that. Yeah, I do. I do love a good spreadsheet. <laughs> and, and that's it. They're necessary, though, because there's no way to coordinate all of this without really having it all on a spreadsheet and tracking each part of it. And, you know, there's there's a lot more spreadsheets that, you know, every day I'm like, okay, I really need a a spreadsheet for this. So yeah, I sit and, um, you know, watch TV and come up with and work on my spreadsheets at night. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So um, with those GMPs, what kind of research do you do to 
know what systems are right for your operation and what principles are the best ones to apply for what you're trying to accomplish because there are just a ton of, you know, the lean manufacturing principles out there. So how do you know what's right for you? Well, consultants have played an important part in that because, you know, I don't want to recreate the wheel. Right. It's something that's relatively complicated. So in the very beginning, I went and, you know, tried to figure out some of these things for myself, but then figured, okay, let me take an existing system and um, spend some money on consulting to find out how to really do this. And, you know, that's when I quickly transitioned from measuring cups to scales and bigger mixers and so on. But there's been some people that, you know, are in the industry that have spent really generous amounts of time with me just telling me how they're doing things. And, And they're not necessarily in cookies, but I've really found some mentors that have given me great advice and then some amazing consultants and food scientists that have guided me with some foundations in what systems to even be looking at. And some people that have so much even given me their system and you know, I, I don't need to duplicate everything and make it my own because there's certain things that are industry standards that I've been able to use. I do feel that it could be very easy to over-engineer the process. Absolutely. And get to a point where it's now counterproductive. Absolutely. And I can sometimes start and overcomplicate things. And so I spend a lot of time taking my initial system and constantly refining things because it is easy to make things more complicated than they need to be. So that's where this continuous improvement comes in is I'm constantly trying to simplify and simplify. And that is my mantra is keep it simple. Yeah. The process has to be simplified in order for a complex operation to be efficient. Absolutely. So um, we talked about other, you know, like leaning on other resources and and doing some research and things. But one thing that's interesting about where you are in the new facility is that you're right down the street from another great bakery that I know pretty well. So you are neighbors with my friends at the Good Bread Company, which was formerly Michigan Bread. I love those guys. And I was so excited to make that introduction for you. How did having another bakery in the neighborhood sort of help you get started in this facility and starting up your fifth operation? They have been very helpful. And and thank you so much for making that introduction because even going to other manufacturing plants in the, the bakery industry is so, so helpful to just see where we're going to be a few years down the line. But but these are the kind of guys that have given me advice and have told me, okay, here's how to do this. Instead of me recreating a certain wheel, they've shown me this is what took them a long time to dial in and this is what's working for them. You know, certain systems are, are don't need changing. So it's been really helpful more than anything visually to see where we want to go, but to have also some mentors that can commiserate on, okay, I remember being at that space and here's some of the challenges we had here. So I, I've spoken to you know Mike and Spiro about just even staffing and how to find the right people as you grow, you know, with that challenge of, okay, you can't necessarily afford, you know, the, the expert to come in you know, at their expert salary, some of these people you need to bring in and and learn with them and grow with them. And so we, you know, I've talked to them extensively about that issue and how they dealt with that. 
Yeah, those guys, I was really, uh, I mean, I don't think you could have moved into a better neighborhood because Mike and Spiro, they didn't start out as bakers. They were in the distribution game and they are also self-taught. So I was very excited to introduce you to someone who had been on a similar journey, who had the gift of hindsight to share with you so that you could sort of sharpen your lens closer to 2020 in real time. Yeah, they have a very impressive operation and they have been so helpful. So you've got your staff that you have right now currently and everybody's sort of learning together as you go. And then you've also had the ability to lean on expertise from industry veterans and consultants and your neighbors at the Good Bread Company. How is it from your perspective, from where you're standing, how do you balance the advice from experts with your ideas as an entrepreneur and a propensity to maybe do things a little bit differently or look at things in new ways? How do you create that balance in your operation? It's a good question. You know, I, I'm leaning more and more towards these experts and towards advice because this is all uncharted territory for me. And mistakes that I make are more and more expensive at this point. So it really where I might in my mind have a certain way of doing things, I'm really filtering it through the advice of experts because I can't afford big expensive mistakes anymore, you know, whereas in the beginning I could dabble a little bit more when I was on a smaller scale and figure things out, but especially with equipment. You make a couple big equipment mistakes and and you're you're sunk. Yeah. So this is where I really really value the advice of people that have done this before and and getting what they suggest and you know, even in addition to uh, Mike and Spiro and Dave and Lawrence, some people that have really helped me and, and some great consultants that I've had at the trade shows, I've had a few other even cookie companies take me under their wings, much larger cookie companies and people that have been really generous with advice and guidance on, on the equipment side of you know what they're using at this much larger size and, and guidance as to, you know, what to do and what not to do. So I think that it's been invaluable and and I prioritize that over my own ideas at this point because I'm really learning as I go at this growth stage. Yeah. Yeah. So were you surprised at how open other baking companies are to take you under their wing and kind of help guide you in here, the things that work for us, here's equipment that works for us, have you thought about this? Because that is something that is signature to the baking industry that someone from the outside might not expect. Was that a surprise to you? It really was a pleasant surprise of how generous people were with their time and advice. And it's been so, so helpful because, you know, without it, I would have made several other mistakes uh, along the way. But, you know, I always myself try to be as generous with mentorship and advice. And so I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to always pay it forward myself with a lot of smaller bakers or startups will come to me and, and ask for advice or guidance. And I try to provide it just as I'm getting from these other much larger companies that have been so helpful and generous to me. Yeah. There is so much camaraderie in the commercial baking community. I've talk to bakers who, you know, they've toured 
other bakery operations in order to troubleshoot problems that they're having or get endorsements or feedback on potential equipment or lines that they're looking to invest in. So I'm so happy to hear that you are experiencing that as well, because that's one of the things that I love the most about this industry. Yeah, it's very comforting to have people that actually care to see other companies be successful. There's enough room for all of us to be successful. And, you know, I'm glad that they see that and I see that and we all have to help each other. Yeah. I mean, it really is the whole rising tide philosophy. Rising tide truly does float all boats. Absolutely. Rebecca, that is all I have for our conversation about manufacturing. And I love hearing about where you are with your operation right now. And I know that there is more to come with what you're doing there in Taylor, Michigan. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to circle back and talk about that because I am excited to get your take on having visited IBIE and seeing a million square feet of innovation. Um, But before we get to that, next week, we're going to talk about the thing that is on everyone's mind, and that is people development. That's what we're going to dive into next to talk about how you're developing your staff and what growth looks like from that perspective. So we will dive into that next week. Sounds great. And that is definitely an important part of our company. All right, Rebecca, it was great talking to you and I will talk to you next week. Sounds great. Thanks, Joni. Thank you for listening to Troubleshooting Innovation, a commercial baking podcast. And a special thank you to our sponsor, the National Honey Board, your resource for Mother Nature's true sweetener. For more information, visit www.honey.com.